our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 3. We'll minister a message this morning titled, The Flaming Sword of Christ Jesus. The Flaming Sword of Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. The Bible says that our Jesus is the man of war, a man of war. It's what Jesus did as a man that saved our souls. Let me say it a different way. It's what God was able to do in the man and through the man, flesh man, Jesus Christ, that saved our souls. We need to remember that. If you hear folks talking about Jesus wasn't really a man in the flesh, those people can't be saved. And that's what the Bible teaches. You have to believe that God became a physical, fleshly man because man sinned, man owed the price, no man could pay it. God had to become a man, live a sinless life as the Son of God and lay his life down for the sins of all humanity as a man, as a man. He was a life-giving spirit. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, but he was a man. He did not have a sin nature, but he was made of flesh and blood. He did not have a sin nature. That's why the Bible says that he took part of the same being made like us. He was not completely like us. You and I are born with a sin nature. Jesus was not born with a sin nature because he was not reproduced by men. The Bible says he was the Lord that came from heaven. And when he came from heaven, he was placed inside the womb of the Virgin Mary as the seed of the woman. And he did not have a sin nature. But you have to believe that what Jesus did, he did as a man because man had to pay the price that man owed. Amen? Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. This is, of course, before we read, let us, because we're not going back and read the whole chapter, let us understand it's a story we all know. Adam and Eve had sinned. Eve had been deceived, lied to. And let me say this this morning. I said it in Warren this weekend. The devil can be right about things he tells you but he'll never be able to speak the truth to you. His lips cannot utter truth, but he can definitely speak facts to you. This is why we cannot live by facts. We live by faith. Faith only comes by hearing God's word. Did the devil not tell Eve if she ate of the tree, her eyes would be opened? And were they not opened when she ate of the tree? The devil can say things that are right, but it not be that which God's will desires for you. It happened to her, just like the devil said, though he told her a lie when he told her, you surely you won't die, but your eyes will be opened if you eat of the tree. And when she ate of the tree, her eyes were opened. But she died. Her eyes were opened by the devil. 
We have to be born again now for our eyes to be reopened. So don't, just because you hear something that is right, you better know whatever that is that you're hearing you think is right based on truth. It has to be truth, not just something that's right. Because something that's right might be very wrong for you. This is where we have to learn to walk in a place where we're learning to be experienced in the word of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 5 tells the early Christians there that they were babes in Christ. They weren't able to do what they should be doing because they were dull of hearing. They were babes. They were carnal. They were paralyzed and stuck in a place where they could no longer grow because they were not skillful in the word of righteousness. The devil will minister a word to you, but it will never be in righteousness. He can minister a word to you and say something that's right to you, but it will kill you if you believe it. It will destroy you if you believe him. Let me say it again because I know this will like shock people. The devil told her something would happen to her. If she did something, she did it and it happened to her but it was not God's will. So you must be careful who you listen to that sounds like they're telling you right things. If it's not resulting in the will of God taking place in your life, then somebody's either lying to you or you're just not believing the ones that are telling you the truth. You should be growing. That's what I'm trying to say. Genesis 3 and 22 and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, Eden to till the ground from where he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. That means to, that means to prevent men for, for, from partaking of the tree that would literally, even in their sin and their guilt and their spiritual death and all their shame, it would, allow, it would have allowed them to live forever physically in that state because that tree gave physical life no matter what if you ate off of it. Everybody know that. That's what the Bible there says, lest they live forever. So God set a couple of cherubim, those are angels by the way, with flaming swords there that prevented anybody from going back into the things of God, back into this place of being able to live together with God forever in peace and joy and harmony with the Lord in the way that he'd planned. So from that very moment, he drove them out. He put the cherubim there with the flaming swords, which was God's judgment, and really a picture of you can't get to God because there's something blocking the way, and it was the flaming swords that the cherubim held. Nobody could get there. You couldn't figure out. You couldn't come up a way around it. 
that you couldn't climb over. You couldn't get through those flaming swords that was God's judgment having been passed that the tree of life is now forbidden. And for 4,000 years, uh, what I'm going to do, God says, is I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to give my people law. I'm going to speak through the Psalms and the prophets and the laws. I'm going to talk about my son from this very moment until I send my son in the fullness of times and he's going to be born of a woman under the law so he can redeem everybody that can't get back to the tree of life. So for 4,000 years, God would save his people, but they couldn't be born again. They couldn't even go to heaven when they died. They had to go to paradise, Abraham's bosom. And Jesus, remember what he told the thief on the cross when the thief believed on him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. He went to paradise, and, and because he died and was buried, when Jesus died, immediately he was in paradise preaching. He wasn't laying in no grave. Somebody say amen. Jesus died, he was in paradise that day. And that thief that died with him, that believed, was there with him. That's good news. Amen. They put his body in the grave, but he didn't go. He went to paradise. Not because he sinned, but to get everybody out of there who'd looked for him all those years because he just paid the price for their sins. Hallelujah. Amen. God's judgment had fallen on Christ. It's going to be good today. God's judgment fell on Christ. Christ could become that door back to the tree of life. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. You can partake of the tree of life even right now sitting in this room because the tree of life is Jesus Christ. He is our life. Hallelujah. The first Adam ate off a tree he was told not to eat off of and died and we all died with him. The last Adam that came from heaven tasted death by the grace of God on a tree that we call the cross for all humanity, he partook, he partook of the cup by laying his life down. Amen. By, he tasted, does the Bible not say he tasted death by the grace of God? so that we could all have that same test of death, taste of death, and say, as the psalmist said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ain't seeing unless you're eating. Hallelujah. And God, as Pastor Patrick said, ain't got but one meal. If you're not eating his flesh and drinking his blood, you're not experiencing what the Son of God died for you to have, even if you're born again, because it doesn't just happen. Let's read verse 24 again before we move on into this today. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Now, always remember, God does everything for a, a specific and perfect purpose. Uh, this gate that was to the tree of life was on the east side of Eden. And when God would later have a people and, and he'd tell them to build a place, a tabernacle in the wilderness and have a fence around it, even the entrance into that place was on the east. Even the tribe of Judah that Jesus would come of, they inhabited. The tribe of Judah was on the east side. Everything is a, a perfect 
purpose and a perfect plan. God's never had to use the eraser. He don't even have an eraser on his pencil. Hallelujah. When he declares it, he knows he's going to perform it. Glory be to God. When he declares his counsel, it's his good pleasure and he says he's going to perform it. Hallelujah. That's why we got to get in the Word. We got to believe the Word. The Word is His counsel. It's His good pleasure, and He's going to carry that out. Don't try to get God to carry out your words. He's going to carry out and perform His words. Hallelujah. Let your words be in agreement with His words. Let the counsel you give be the counsel He's already given because He's not going to perform anything that He's not already spoken. Hallelujah. God don't have new words. God's got the Word that He is that became flesh and dwelt among us and allowed us to behold his glory and he went to the cross and tasted death for us and there God's flaming sword his justice struck the shepherd there is the man who made it through the flaming sword becoming the door for us to get back to the tree of life hallelujah He's the one that showed up at the door when he showed up on Calvary's cross. Uh, that gate that led to, to God's paradise. That, that gate that led to ha- communion with God again. That, that, that gate that led to being with God eternally. That gate that led to all sins being removed and being justified. That, that door that Jesus became, that Jesus entered into first, he teaches in John 10. He's not just the door, my friends. He's the one who entered in through the door, that being the cross for us all. So there's flaming swords there. Nobody can get back to the tree of life. So God has to send his son to become that tree of life. Hallelujah. The Bible calls him the branch of righteousness, the branch that speaks of a tree. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. The seed of the woman had to be planted in death that that seed might bring forth resurrection, life, and power. We are trees of righteousness in God's vineyard, hallelujah, because the seed of the woman was planted in death. Jesus, let me say it again, he's not just the door. He's the first one that went in through the door. He's shown us how to get in by the way he went through the door. And he is the door. Amen? Glory be to God. The flaming sword represents God's judgment that would fall on anyone who attempted to approach God's way of eternal life through their own efforts. Nobody has ever been able to taste of the tree of life again whose faith is not in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about some lip service. I'm talking about the heart that believes under righteousness. Then the lips will say what's right. If the heart's not trusting in the sacrifice, then the lips are not going to be saying what's right. That's why the devil can't never say truth. He can tell you some things that are right, but it's only to deceive you to keep you away from truth. In God's eyes, the only thing that's right is his word. That is a Bible verse, isn't it? 
Anybody know what that Bible verse is? For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Let's look in the book of Revelation now. We started in the first book. Let's move to the last book because Jesus is the first book, and he's the last book. He's our genesis. He's our beginning, said he was, and he's our ending. He said he was. At Calvary, he became, I love saying this, my Lord, I hope you'd learn this and say it too. Jesus at the cross became the very ending of everything he once began. And at the same time, in his death, he became the new and eternal beginning, beginning of all that God will ever do. The cross is what made the difference. At the cross, the curtain was pulled. Nothing from the old can make its way into the new. There's God's judgment that stands between the old and the new, and it's those flaming swords that were placed by those cherubim there at that guarding place from that tree of life. All the way from the beginning, God began to paint a picture of Jesus for us. Not only that he would come, but that he would be the one that would have God's judgment upon him so that we would not have to have the wrath of God upon us for eternal destruction. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? I mean, it's the best thing you could ever think in your mind that God found me and saved me. You might have been five. You might have been 55. You didn't go looking for God. He came looking for you. And he found you. And he offered to you eternal life and you believed it. And when you believed it, you entered into Christ, into his kingdom. You literally entered in that moment into an eternity with him. We're not waiting for eternity to come. The eternal one already dwells within us. We have, we, we have him beginning now for all eternity. Sometimes we like to think eternity begins when we die eternity has no beginning and no ending you need to understand that God brought you into his being eternal when he brought you in by the way of his son aren't you glad you're saved this morning you need to go to bed at night saying Lord I thank you that I'm saved by the blood of your son hallelujah let that be the most important thing to me all day long not my job not my family not my good health or my bad health Oh, let the blood of Jesus be at the forefront of my mind because that's what's always on God's mind. The Bible says in Psalms 111 verse 5, he's always mindful. The word used is ever. He's ever mindful of his covenant. That word ever, I hope you'd look it up when you get home, it means the vanishing point. What's on God's mind is what caused you to vanish from the ways of the world and to be placed in Christ. It's the covenant of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Let's get over there. We might have to read a little bit more than that. Let's, let's back up a little bit and read in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, unto the angel, that word there means preacher, pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Jesus, 
That's who this is. I know your works and your labor and that your and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have been and have found them liars and has borne that means bear and have and has had patience and for my name's sake you've labored and you've not fainted Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Now, everybody knows what first love is. We can't leave here today all having different thoughts about what the first love is. The church got all kind of imaginations about first love. First love is simply where you first loved God because you realized where he manifested his love towards you, which was at the cross in his son. 1 John 4, 9, and 10 tell us that. First love is where you begin your love for him because you realized his love for you. That's first. It ain't nothing else. It's nothing else. And you need to understand that. Nevertheless, I have something somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Now, I hope you see this today. You can leave your first love. We, we have before left our first love. Even though we might have been faithful in all these other things that they were found faithful doing, they had left their first love. They had actually left the proper root of why they were doing all that they were doing. And God says he's got that against them. So watch verse 5, the wording of this. Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen. The reminder here is that we need to remember from where we fell. And he's telling us it was our first love. Hmm. And repent. And do the first works. You see, without us being in the place of our first love, we can't do the first works. God's not asking for a multitude and a mile-long list of works. He's asking you to keep doing the first works. Oh, we need to get a hold of that. We want a new work. They ain't but one work. They ain't but one work. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that death is what's work God's working in us. That's the work he began in us. And that's the work he will make perfect and continue until the day of Jesus Christ. It ain't all a bunch of other stuff. But he can't even do that unless he gets us back to our first love where he calls this now the first works took place. It's not what we began to do. It was the first works of the Holy Spirit. If we're not back to our first love, back to what we believed, and I'm not talking about, well, of course we believe in the cross. I'm talking about where that's becoming your life. You get determined to know nothing else but Christ in him crucified. There's nothing else to trust in. You get determined. 
That's not a bad word, saints, because there's people that made fun of Paul for using it, and there's people that make fun of us for using it. They're even saying out there that we're using it, using it out of its context. But what other context is there than to be tr- found trusting in nothing ever at any moment of our lives than Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary? That's what it meant for Paul, and Paul learned that the hard way, and so have we. Amen. Amen. He says, remember therefore from where you are fallen and repent and do the first works. Do the first works. The first works that we do, Galatians bears witness to this, but I don't have time to teach it everywhere else this is taught, but our first works is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be the Holy Spirit working for any works we do to be recognized, honored, and rewarded by the Lord. We can't just go do something. Amen. The devil could tell us if we'll do that, that's right to do it, isn't it? The Bible says go do it. Okay, we go do it, and nothing changed, nothing happened. There's no fruit in it because you you can hear somebody telling you to do something, but if you don't understand from where you have to be doing it, from where you have to be doing it, And if you're falling from your first love, everything you do might be right, but God's got something against you, and there's a problem. This is the importance of always hearing the Word of God in the light of Calvary. Because if we're not, there will be no light that shines into the heart. Light only shines from heaven through the cross of Christ onto the pages of God's Word and then into our hearts. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no light for God's, from God's word for us. It took, it took the light of Calvary's lamb. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 23, the lamb is the light. It takes the light of Calvary for the word of God to literally become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Without the cross at the forefront of your minds and your faith, deliberately and consciously being placed in Christ in his death, then what you're doing may seem right to you, but it's not going to result in right fruit. It takes the cross for right fruit. Amen. Look at what he says here now in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you are, you are fallen. And repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick, the lampstand, out of his place, except you repent. If we don't get, if we don't heed this as the church, if the church then didn't take heed to this and repent and get back to their first love, the place the first first works began. Listen, if we don't repent and get back to this place, then we begin to lose light. The devil, the devil, he's got a light he'll give you too. But the Bible calls his light darkness. It, Jesus said, if the light that's in you really be darkness, how great is that darkness? Mm. So he says here in, in, in verse 6, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But let me say this to you according to what Jesus is teaching here. To John, 
you can be doing some things right. And, and we've read that, and we just read it again. But if you don't get back to your first love, where the first works, the first works began to take place, then you're going to lose your light, meaning you're going to lose your way. Meaning you're going to start going in circles. You know, if you're out in the woods and you got a blindfold on and, and the sun ain't out, that's what it's like to be trying to be spiritual without your faith in the cross. You just you think you're getting somewhere. Three days later, you take it, you take that blindfold off, and you still you still circling that little patch of uh, fifty foot you've been circling. That's what it's like spiritually without faith in the sacrifice of Christ. In verse seven, he says, "He that has an ear, let him hear." Not everybody gonna hear. You say, "I got two ears." That ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about that man on the inside that now as a born-again child of God can, if he chooses to hear. Just because we're saved don't mean we're going to choose to hear the word of God. And I, I wasn't there and I don't have any ideal, but more than likely in that day, it's just like it is this day, we'll hear this and then we'll decide what we're going to do with it. And we're going to do that anyway. But whether we're going to believe it and take heed to it and let this word change my life and, and, and become proper direction for my life or whether we're just going to go out of here and say, well, whatever, you know, that was a good boy. He quoted a lot of scripture. Boy, it sounded good. I love my church and hallelujah, glory be to God. No, we need the word of God changing our lives. And that means many times we're going to have to repent and get back to where God, that's what the message of the cross was sent some 20-something years, almost 30 now probably, back filtered into the church again so that the church could be awakened, hear this kind of word, and see that we might have been doing a lot of stuff that's right, but the main thing, we got wrong. We got to get back to our first love where the first works took place because, listen, at the place called our first love where the first works began is where we had received Jesus Christ, the one who had taken God's judgment upon himself. Does the Bible not say in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14 that the love of Christ constrains us, holds us the course, keeps us together because we thus judge? What's the judgment that allows the love of Christ to constrain us? That if one died for all, then all were dead. The focus of Calvary is there again. You can't preach the love of God without preaching the cross of God or it's some flake out, feel good, emotion type of something that the devil's telling you, you'll feel it and you will, but it won't be biblical love without the cross. I think this is a powerful message in that what we said at the initial onset of this meeting, the devil can say a lot of right things through preachers. But let me ask you, are you being challenged by what they're saying? Are you being changed by the message they preach? Are you being challenged by what they're telling you? Are you being changed by what they're telling you? 
Well, I can tell you now, you're not if they're not preaching the cross, talking about the cross, uh, teaching the cross. We're to be learning Christ, and we can't do it without the cross. We, the Bible says nobody, no man knows Christ after the flesh. The Apostle Paul knew Christ better than all those who walked with him in his earthly life and ministry that Paul never did, but he knew him more than all them. He did more works, Paul said, than all them because Paul met the one that they walked with and Paul was given the revelation of what God actually did on the cross in Christ and what it means for you moment by moment, every moment. So the scriptures in the Old Testament could come to life and have meaning when Job would say, God's trying me every moment. God will never leave me or forsake me. So what's he doing? He's here. We need to be aware of this. God will never leave me. Ever leave. He'll never leave me, so that means he's always here. The question is, what's he doing? The big question is, what's you letting him do? The big, bigger question is, how does he do it? And the Bible answers all those questions. He'll never leave me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And he's not just along for the ride. He's trying me every moment. Job 7, 18. He's trying me every moment to see if I'll keep my faith in that which he's trying to deliver me to every moment. This is just another portion of Scripture where God is trying to get this church here. What church was this? The church of Ephesus to look back to where he first delivered them to get back to that place where he's always delivering them because that place is his only answer for everything that he will carry out through his counsel. The cross. If you're listening to people who are just talking about the word and when you get through hearing it, there's no challenge, there's no, there's no conviction, there's no uh, option for change. You're not being confronted with the truth that changes. You might just be listening to folks who are saying things that are right, but it ain't having an effect on you. The message of the cross, uh, I begin to hear it. I didn't want to hear it as a Christian. How dumb is that? But I begin to hear it because God made me hear it. He wouldn't turn the radio off. So I kept hearing it and I kept hearing it and finally the light of what I was hearing began to shine and I began to believe it. And I was able through the power of the Holy Spirit, my desperation and what God was trying to get me to see, which him attempting to deliver me back to the place I left, then the light came on and I said, you know what, God? We can have a church here now. We can. And he, you know the story. He was telling me, he told me for a year, we start a church, start a church. And I kept saying there's, there's, there's 500 in our region. I ain't getting back in that mess. <laughs> but when the revelation of the cross of Christ came and I began to see it and understand it just a little bit, and the Lord said, when I told him there's 500 churches in our region, he said, but they're not preaching my gospel. They're not preaching my gospel. And now I know more fully 
a little bit more what he meant. They mentioning it, but they not preaching it. They not boasting in this alone. When this message becomes your boast, when people want to talk to you about the Lord and the Word of God and you just put aside where you go to church and who your preacher is and you join them in the conversation about the Word and the Lord, then you know you're moving forward. Hallelujah. All that other stuff. Well, man, you, you, man, you ought to know what Jesus did for me. Well, I go down here to first, second, whatever. No, that's where all the division is. That's what's causing all the division. You ever try to talk to somebody about the Word or the Lord Jesus Christ? They just start talking about where they go to church. It's hard to say anything to them after that because most of the time they think you're being ugly when you try to help them. We're going to help them anyway, amen? That's why we called ugly. That's why there wasn't hardly nobody with Paul at the end of his life except the handful of people that he could write to. I wonder how many people in the church today really believe what Paul wrote down by the unction of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many people really following what Paul preached because in his day, people were doing then the same thing they're doing now. They don't need making everything back to cross. God said he's ever mindful of his covenant. That means his mind is always on that sacrifice of his son. And in, in First or Second Chronicles there, he tells us, commands us to always be mindful of the covenant. Amen. So here he says, verse 7, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. This, this is where you hear me always referring to those who have a Spirit-taught heart. Not everybody in the church has a spirit-taught heart. If you have a spirit-taught heart, a heart that's being taught literally by the Holy Spirit, your life is going to be being changed. Your wife, your husband is going to see it and praise God for it. It might not be as fast as they'd like to see, but they're going to see a little bit of change along the way. Hmm. My wife got more than she's asking for, but she's still asking now for a lot more. Look, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Are you eating of the tree of life now? Yes, you are. If Jesus said, if you eat of my flesh and drink my blood, it's he who's got life. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you ain't got no life. I'm not calling Jesus a tree, but I'm telling you, he's the one that died on a tree. He's the one that was made a curse to deliver us from the curse so that we could have everlasting life. Hmm. It's a powerful, powerful revelation that I hope you're seeing a little bit today. Again, let's go back to the picture that God gave us. You know, most most times we, we read stories in the Bible and we don't, we, 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 I'm thankful for Crossway Church and other churches like it. And kids back there at home and back in Sunday school classes and the youth on Wednesday nights, they're hearing how the Bible not only points to Jesus, 
but how it gets in us. If you got to have more than the theology of this. Oh, I see how David killed Goliath, and yeah, that's a picture of Calvary. Man, that's, that's interesting. That's good. That's marvelous. But that story is there for the impartation of truth into your heart. How is that story affecting you? More than, oh, I see that now. That's one place of growth. That's the milk. And you got to be looking through Calvary to some degree to even partake of the milk. But the meat takes place when we begin to experience that word of righteousness. And Hebrews 5 tells us what one of the results will be, and that's that our discernment will be greater. That now we'll be able to discern between good and evil. You see, lost people can do that. Baby Christians can do that, but this is a whole nother place of discernment that you can't experience unless you're becoming skillful. That means experienced in the word of righteousness. That means the way of the cross, the word of the cross. Mm. That's why these churches, our kids... They're being taught how the Bible points to Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus through what he would do at Calvary. And you have to fight to keep your faith in that to prevent trusting in self because it's either in Jesus and what he did or it's in self. And every time we're trusting in ourselves, that's when we get ourselves in big trouble. Amen. So let's go back to the last few minutes of our... <clears throat> what the Bible says about the flaming swords that were placed there in the hands of the cherubims, plural, at that east gate to prevent any entrance to the tree of life. And the purpose was, the Bible tells us, to prevent people from living forever in their lost, sinful and lost condition. Because that tree, what God made it to do was give the physical body life forever. And it would have kept doing that. But they lost their spiritual life. And they became dead in their sins and trespasses, separated from God. And again, let me say it, it's so beautiful from that moment on. Even in that happening there that took place, God was portraying something about the cross to us. Someone to get to that tree of life would have to go through those flaming swords of God's judgment. Somebody's got to get us back to the tree of life. And for 4,000 years, nobody could. Just like in the book of Revelation when John is crying because he knows unless those books and those seals are opened, we're stuck where we are forever. And he knew that all the saints weren't home. He knew that this wasn't all. He, he knew that, maybe not that, but he knew that if those books and seals weren't opened, that the plan of God was just where it was at and it wasn't ever going to go on. That's just why he's crying. He can't find anybody that's worthy to open the book. And one of the elders said, fear not. There is one here who's able to open the book. 
This one who has the appearance of one slain as a lamb. This line of the tribe of Judah. This one who was born on the east side of Jerusalem out of Judah. This one who would be the bread from heaven, who was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. This one who would be able to enter through the fiery flaming swords of God's judgment and make a way back into the presence and the power of God for all who would believe in him. And all this is scriptural and I'm going to share it with you this morning. Jesus in Matthew 26, 31, I hope you're watching. I hope you're listening. I hope your heart's taking notes or that pencil is. Matthew 26, 31, this is the night Jesus is about to be crucified and he's still quoting Scripture. We are word people because our Savior is the living word who did nothing but quote the old scriptures, did nothing but live and fulfill the old scriptures, being the scriptures himself. And on the night he was about to be crucified, he said in Matthew 26 and 31, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. You see, Jesus was smitten of God for you and me. He took the flaming sword that guarded the way back into the presence and the power of God. He took that judgment that was a fiery judgment. He took that for us. He was smitten and everybody fleed away esteeming him stricken of God. And he was, but not for the reason they thought, not because he was a blasphemer, but because he was a perfect, sinless, perfectly humble and obedient man who was willing to go through the fiery, flaming swords of God's judgment at Calvary to save us and to become the door into God's presence and power for us. There's no other way. There's no other way to be in the presence of God and to have the power of God and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit who is God than to have your heart depending on moment by moment what Jesus did for you at Calvary. That is abiding in Christ. That is remaining in the place of your first love and allowing the first works to continue to be done. But Jesus, when he said, I will smite the shepherd, he says, it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He was quoting from the prophet Zechariah. Let's turn there and look at the beauty, the beauty of these words together this morning. The prophet Zechariah, my goodness. Chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Part of this is uh, this verse 6 is, is a description of Jesus when he comes back to save Israel at the end of the tribulation in the 
they finally recognize him, having saved them from the Antichrist and all the world that's with the Antichrist. And they, and they say this to him. The prophet declared it here in Zechariah 13 and 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in your hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. He gets them back to the cross. He reminds them that I was the Redeemer. That's what caused these holes in my hands. And I still am your Redeemer. God hadn't changed. Jesus Christ has always been the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was Israel's king when he sent him the first time. God didn't say, well, they didn't want you. Let me find another. The same one they rejected is coming back for them. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hey, hey. Woo, somebody ought to be running back now. Hallelujah. And verse 7 says, Awake. This is what Jesus quoted concerning himself taking on the fiery flaming swords of God's judgment that had blocked the way to the tree of life for 4,000 years. And this is what he's quoting on the way to his sacrifice. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Can I remind you this morning that the flaming swords that were in the hand of the cherubims, they ain't there no more, my friend, because Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He's the one that went through the fiery flaming swords of God's judgment so that the wrath could be put on him for our sins and trespasses and he could take all that and do away with it, nailing it to his cross and invite us in to partake of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Oh, let every moment be a moment, moment by moment, partaking of that divine nature that is the nature of the Lamb of which we eat, moment by moment. We're not religious people that try to get together and let the preacher put a piece of wafer on your tongue and, and tell you that is your fellowship with Jesus. No, your fellowship with Jesus is your fellowship with him in his sufferings. Hallelujah. And there you find the power of his resurrection. And there you're being made conformable to his death. Because it's his death that allowed him to be the shepherd that was smitten for my sins. Man, this ought to be such good news to us that, that, that the things we've said in the past, like, I just can't, I can't stop thinking about what they did to me. Man, this, this message here ought to make you say, I just can't stop thinking about what Jesus did for me. My, I ain't got time to think about what they did for me, about to me, said about me. Man, I, man, this, this what I know now is so good to me, especially now that God has shown me how to have my feet in it, how to be seated at his table with him, how to stand in his grace and walk in his truth. He's shown us how it's done through faith in the one who did it all. Aren't you glad Jesus showed up after 4,000 years and those cherubims had to put their sword down? It struck Jesus. The way's not blocked anymore. When he was on the cross, the, the veil was ripped from, what, 
top to bottom, access to all who will believe now. Not anybody who's trying to work for it, be good enough for it. Jesus died for everybody in the world. You know who that is? Everybody that ain't good enough. That's all of us. I hear crazy songs people writing these days, and they, they uh, bless their hearts, they don't really know what to write. They're just trying to make words rhyme. But we got people like Angel Peace who walks in the revelation of Jesus Christ and him crucified, giving songs out of a desperate heart to, to please God. We got people out there just trying to make words rhyme. Talk about when I can't fight, I let you, I, 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 I get you to fight for me. When can I fight? That, that those words make us think we can do something sometime without him when he said you can't do anything without me. Mm. Powerful, isn't it? Jesus quoting scripture the night he goes to the cross or the day. The old Zechariah testimony, O sword, awake. It's time. That's what the scripture prophesied by Zechariah so long ago. And the night, the day of Calvary, that sword awoke. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. The shepherd that God chooses. See, the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, I think it is 4 and 5, God says, I will set shepherds among them and I will feed them. And fear, dismay, and lack will be removed. They're not but one message that removes fear, dismay, and lack. And that's the message of the shepherd who was smitten on our behalf so that we could get back into the presence and the power of God experiencing him so that fear doesn't paralyze us and control us anymore. So that we're not dismayed and just running in circles and confused and don't know what to do. I wish I knew what God was doing. Let me tell you, this morning he's turning you over, delivering you under the death of Jesus every moment of your life. If you're not willing to go that way, then he can't lead you into anything else. The way this, this is confirmation that the way of God is the way of the cross. Not just in, but the way of the cross. Even as a young, a young person, you have to believe this. Not say I believe it. You have to believe it from the heart. See, our kids now, they can go to school or where, wherever they are around other kids and all that peer pressure, you know, you're, she's not, he's not, he's not as good looking as them. She's not as pretty as them. They, they look at, look at their clothes. They don't, all that won't mean anything to you. Yes, it don't feel good, but when that's happening, you can, even as a young child, be beholding what Jesus did for you at Calvary, and you will have a great assurance that those people just don't have. It's not about being the biggest and the baddest and the meanest and the toughest and the prettiest or the most handsome, the smartest, the wisest. It's about their whole life is about what you're going to do with Jesus. Because whatever you're doing with him is going to determine 
Everything in your life. Amen. Everything. The shepherd was smitten so that we wouldn't have to be. We were already being smitten by our own sin. Sin nature, sin nature was choking the life out of us. Had the chains so tight we couldn't do anything but testify of our bondages. And then when we got saved, we began to testify the Son of God. Amen. The flaming sword of Christ crucified. You see, the, the cherubim put there with the flaming sword, that was a picture of what Christ would be able to do for us at Calvary. He's the only one that could make it through. He's the only one that could become the door. Everything in your Bible points to Jesus. You say, well, I'm just not seeing it. Keep looking. He's going to show it to you. That's what he wants you to see. How do I know? Because that's where he's always delivering you to. Therefore, everything he's trying to show you in the Word, he's going to show you in that light. Or you are not going to see it except in the light the enemy is trying to get you to see it. Many, 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 many preachers today are preaching the Word in some light outside of the light through which it shines. That's why when people go home, they ain't got nothing. They ain't got nothing that's helping them, helping their marriages, helping them raise their children. They hadn't got anything that's changing their life. That's why they say when you start talking to them about the word, you quote a scripture to them and they just instantly say, well, I go down here to, in other words, you're saying, let me alone about all that. This message, this truth in your heart puts words on your lips. Every one of you who's ever stepped into this revelation, when you begin to hear it some years ago, maybe on the radio, maybe on television, your heart caught on fire. Because where righteousness and peace kissed, that word kissed means a kindled fire. Every person who's got their faith in the sacrifice of Christ, literally, deliberately, in their heart, a fire burns in their hearts. It's burning in their hearts. And from that fire... They get the light they need. Fire is more than heat, and it's more than light. It's also destructive. And our God is a consuming fire. We need to remember this. We know what I'm talking about this morning when I say there are moments that we're not trusting in the sacrifice of Christ because it's in those moments we prove we're not. We snapped. We had a moment of rage. Well, in that moment of rage... Oh, nobody will ever talk me out of believing in the cross, but in that moment of rage, I wasn't beholding what my God is delivering me unto. If I was and I was accepting it, I wouldn't have had a moment of rage. Now are we starting to see a little bit more maybe this morning of what it means, he whose mind is stayed on the Lord shall have perfect peace. See, this, what we have is worth fighting for, is it not? Ain't nobody in here perfect. And every one of us got more moments than we'd like to stand up and admit today that we're not beholding the Lamb. But the reality of this great truth is, while you are beholding the Lamb, my Bible says you are being changed into that image. That still don't mean you're perfect because it says you're being changed into that image. 
That means there's some things that we're still going to be being changed. Nobody's perfect. Don't sit here this morning and say, boy, I wish I could believe this. No, that's the devil telling you you can't, and he's a liar. Everybody can believe this. If you're hearing any words which end up in thoughts in our head that prevent us from beholding the Lamb and going on deeper into this truth, it's not God. It's not God. It's the devil, it's the flesh, or it's the world, or maybe all of them tied up together. We got to hear the truth, and the truth is a man named Jesus, and the only thing that makes it applicable to us is his death on the cross. That's why God always delivers us unto his death for Jesus' sake so that we can express what he died for us to have. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?